Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 8718 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning and you are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie, welcome back to the show. (laughs) So glad to have you back here on uh, Faith FM this morning. Yeah, it's fun. Fun to be back. Minnie, what are you thankful for this morning? Oh, so many things. I was just saying. Yeah, you've you yeah. got kind of a list. <laughs> Minnie walked into the studio with a list of things to be thankful for. Which one do you want to do today? Oh, look, I've just come back from the snow. So okay. I'm excited about that. Just how, adventures and people. How was the snow? Cold. Oh, so cold, but fantastic. Beautiful. Like, so it was cold. It was white. It was very white. Yep. And it was just cool. Like we got down there Friday and then we just had like... On Friday night, we just sang some songs and just drank some hot tea and froze. It was glorious. Um, but yeah, and then we made a snowman. <laughs> what do you mean you froze? Were you camping outside? No, we were just sitting outside after the sun went down. Okay, all right. <laughs> but we made a snowman, and if snowmen should have a scarf and a beanie, they definitely need gumboots, which was the shoes I had. So I was like running around in bare feet, which was fantastic, but I did get a bit cold. But you're like, oh, I'm alive. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. yes. So brilliant. There is this thing of, um, you know, not running around barefoot in the snow. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it is a bit of a thing. Yeah, look, I, I learned. I was so cold. I was like, I'm so cold. Like, I'm just not warm. And they're like, well, could be to do with the fact. I was like, no, 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 that wouldn't be it. <laughs> Did you lay in bed that light night with, waiting for your feet to warm up for like ever? Oh, man, I just slept on the floor in front of the heater. <laughs> that'll work. That'll, do the, that'll, that'll solve the problem right there. Oh, yeah. Sounds like fun. Did you go uh, sliding and sledding? And No, so we're poor college students, and so we just, just wanted to see the snow, you basically. Looked at it. <laughs> yeah. you went down there and looked at wet, but had cold, fun with it. Yeah, white yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, as a yachty. Ah, uh, very good, very good. Well, um, I am thankful this morning that I had to, I, I could work in the dry yesterday in my shed, which was just great. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. What are you talking about in your positively different news this morning? Oh, let me tell you. Story time. I am. I am. <laughs> I am waiting. Um. So, um. Do you do you know back in the day when there were those toll booths? Like, yes. Yeah. So I always, when I was young, would see people who would like pay for the car behind them. I was like, oh, that's so nice. When I'm like older, I want to do that. But then they were gone by the time I had my license. Yeah, they kind of uh, got rid of the whole ability to be able to do random acts of kindness. Mm. Yeah, but so a fast food chain in at a town in Mississippi, I think called Taco Sombrero, they had people come drive up, be like, hey, I want to pay for the person behind me. And the person comes up, oh, really? Cool. Thanks so much. I'll pay for the person behind me. This continues for two hours and 79 cars participated. No right? way. And I was like, no this is way. amazing. Like, how good is that? It's not just, oh, thank you so much. Da-da-da, now I have my food, off I go. Every person was like, oh, amazing. Oh. <laughs> like, and one guy even gave $40, which like fast food, and mm, my, I don't go fast food that much, but I'm assuming fast food in America are like, that's a pretty solid amount. To yeah, that must, he, must have, he had a minivan behind him. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, that's so good. That is, mm. that is super. So somebody just, some random person yep. just started it and it created a chain reaction, just kept going. Yep. And all the people in the store, um, not the store, like the cashiers, were just like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe five cars. Oh, 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 
oh, <laughs> oh, we're still going. And, yeah, it just continued on, 79 cars. You know, you look at the United States right now and you see the images coming across our media and you think this is a country that hates itself and hates everybody mm. else around it and is just in uproar. And when you hear stories like this, you suddenly realise that these are just good people. Mm. It's just the mm-hmm. media that is feeding us, you know, the, just the worst parts of society. But generally speaking, there are a lot of good people in our world. I wonder whether we could start Absolutely. a chain reaction happening here in Australia like that or well, whether Australians are just too stingy. Mm. We need to find somebody mm-hmm. who works <laughs> in a fast food uh, drive through uh-huh. We need to drive through, pay for the people behind us, do this a couple of times and see if we can get a chain reaction started in Australia. Find out whether Australians are as <laughs> generous as Americans or whether we're just stingier. Yeah, hey, research. We're doing research now. Like, <laughs> okay, so if you work in a if you if you work in a fast food restaurant with a drive-through, mm-hmm. and you're in the Newcastle Hunter area, <laughs> uh, give us a call. Minnie and I will uh, we will come and visit you and see if we can see if we can make this yeah, work. See what happens. Yeah, I just think it's cool because yeah, like you said, it's often all oh, people are negative, people are bad, but it's I think people often want to go out of their way to do good. Often we do hurt each other, you know, but it's like accidents, afterthoughts. And, yeah, there can be the malicious times, but I just think this is all you're so beautiful. <laughs> anyway. I heard about one of these stories where, where, they went, uh, where they went through and said, yeah, I'm, I'm with the car behind me. I'm paying for their, them as well. Huh? <laughs> and took the order as well. <gasps> no. <laughs> the people behind them had to do another lap to get their food. That's, that's so a, cheeky. That's a mean thing to do. <laughs> that's so mean. Oh, dear. Imagine. Oh, bless them. Uh, um, yeah, and so then another story, which slightly different vein, but on the um, context of giving, um, there was this park. Um, it was like a park that was being opened. I wrote it down somewhere. Oh, I forgot. Okay, anyway, a town in the US again. <laughs> she's um, checking, was, for those of you who are wondering, she's checking the back of her hand. It's not written on there. It's no. my notepad, but <coughs> failing me today. But um, A park. Yeah, so a park was being open. They have this raffle that you can win a new bike. So this nine-year-old boy writes out the ticket he wants to win. His mum helps him or grandma helps him. Um, he wins his bike, which is worth like $1,000 or something. Oh, a nice one. But it's too big for him. Yep. And the people are just like, oh, well, you can trade it in. No, no, immediately he's like, oh, no, old mate Daniel, like one of the neighbourhood boys who's 13 years old, older than him, he's like, his bike's broken, I'll give it to him. Just immediate, no no hesitation. No hesitation, nothing, just yeah. like pass it on. Yeah, pass it on. And he, because he had a bike, not as good, and he realised that it was worth a bit of money. Um, he's like, oh, yeah, it's probably like this much, you know. Um, but he goes, oh, yeah, I saw him riding it yesterday, and he just looks really happy on it, and we can go riding together. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. the best. Yeah, so he was nine and the teenager he gave it to was 13. Um, and I just think there's something special when you have something that you don't have to give but you choose to. Yes, there like, is, definitely. And definitely when kids do it because mm, these are kids that are starting off on the right path in mm, life. Mm-hmm. These experiences will stay with them. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than receive. When children receive that blessing, it writes itself into their mind and they have that opportunity to grow up as being generous human beings mm. and to be able to, you know, pay for the, uh, <laughs> pay for the car behind them <laughs> and, and not take their food. And not take their food, that's, yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. yeah, so I was like, well done you, little dude. You continue. And it, I love that adults get surprised by these things. They're like, oh, we didn't expect this. And I'm like, it's sort of a shame that we don't expect better. Like, I'm like, why can't we just raise all little tiny humans who have this generous heart in the world? It's because we have lost that generosity of childhood. Mm. 
and that innocence of childhood, we've become cynical and we have allowed the knockbacks that we have received in our life to damage us. Mm. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And we need to, you know, that's why Jesus says, unless you become like little children, mm. you know, we need, to, we need to become like little children, have that simple childlike faith and generosity and love for other people. Mm. Yeah, kids get it, hey? They do. Absolutely. They can also be a little bit crazy, but they get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, do you want to do like a final little quick? Yeah, why not? Okay. One more, one more. So this, I just got excited because it's it's a nice story, but it was also like a cheeky bit of adventure mixed in. So this guy's name was Juan Manuel. Okay, I'm going to butcher his little Spanish name. No, I don't want to say it. Okay, old mate Juan. Juan. <laughs> um, he was in Portugal at the start of COVID. And as things got increasingly more intense and he was like, oh, no, his family was all in Argentina. He wanted to get home for his dad's 90th birthday. But he was just like, oh, this could be a pickle. Um, all the one way oh, – sorry, all the international flights close. And so he decides, okay, I'm going to take my 29-foot boat and I'm just going to sail home. And he kind of knows. Like they tell him, hey, you're not probably going to get back. And I think that's a, that's a level of commitment. When you go, I'm going, knowing that I might not get back, like you're committing to the thing. And so, twenty-nine foot is not a uh, not a very big yacht to sail from Portugal to Argentina. Mm. And the Atlantic's not like the Pacific, you know. The Atlantic can be a nasty place. I don't really know, but it just it sounded fun, but also like a little bit scary, um, which is also part of the fun. But no, so he took some. He took a little bit of food with him, and then he ran out about halfway through. Um, ends up getting there. Like takes a couple of months to do it. Just has this big old adventure, and his big thing was he's like, "Faith got me through." Like, of course, of course, I'll get there. So he made it. All clear, no po- no COVID. And I was like, that's cool. That's nice. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Joining us on the phone right now uh, for our regular Genesis update is Barand Neustrat. And Barand, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lyle. Good to be with you. Barand, we've been working through the book of Genesis for a fair while now, and it's just been amazing. This is the book that really you know, sets up the foundation for the whole Bible, uh, last time we talked about the Tower of Babel, and today we move on to the t- on from the Tower of Babel. Where are we heading to next? Yeah, we we are clearly looking at the uh, the dispersion of all the uh, the nations. Uh, the, the the three sons of uh, of Noah are the main progenitors, as we know. They're the only progenitors. So Shem, Ham, and Yafet. And when you look at the, the way that they spread, it's quite interesting that the Shemites, that, uh, that's what you would call the descendants of Shem, remain pretty well around about what we would call the Middle East today. Yafet was, um, which his name means extender, it means he, his descendants were actually from the European to the, uh, to, to, to the East, so the Indo-European nations. He's the progenitor of those and the Hamites. The descendants of Ham are believed to be more towards, well, uh, Egypt and southwards and into Africa. So we're dealing mainly with, as we continue in the, in the Bible, we deal with Shemites, descendants of Shem. Why does the Bible give such detailed genealogies? This is a bit of a feature that we see popping up yeah. from one occasion to another. This is another one of those occasions when... It you know goes from Noah to Shem, and then it's like, and Shem had this son, and then this son, and you know, and works its way through. Why does the Bible give so much emphasis to genealogies? 
it really gives us the evidence of the historical uh, affirmation. Um, a man by the name of uh, William F. Albright, he was uh, an American archaeologist and uh, 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 he, uh, uh, indeed, a biblical scholar as well, and a true expert on ceramics, for that matter. Um, he had his uh, career in the early part of the 20th century. He passed away in 1971. He made a statement on the genealogies, as we find them in, in Genesis. Normally, people don't look at them because they find them very boring. But it tells us a lot of information. It is interesting that his comment, and he was a world authority on this, he said that without a remote parallel, even amongst the Greek, the Greek historians, that, uh, that we find the closest approach to a distribution of people in the genealogical framework, that is the fable of the nations as they come to us from the, the books of Genesis, Genesis 10, Genesis 11, etc. Uh, he said the tables of the nations remain an astonishing, his very words, an astonishing accurate document, which is fascinating considering that the uh, that the accounts were written three and a half thousand years ago. That and is so much of so much we know is being discovered only in the last hundreds of years. Hmm. And when you look at the book of Genesis being the book of beginnings, you find the beginning of the world, you find the beginning of humans, you find, find the beginning of everything that is, there, is in the world, you find the beginning of uh, sin, you find the beginning of the flood, you find the, yeah. the, the beginning of you know, the sacrificial system, yeah. but you also find yeah. the beginning of nations and languages, yeah. and we've got the record of that. It really is the book of beginnings. Yeah, it's a fantastic possession. It's really great. I mean, it, it really affirms the historicity of the Bible and the inspiration of the man when he wrote all the information three and a half thousand years ago, going back himself for a few thousand years. This is amazing. Yeah, it is. With the okay, so we we work through the genealogy of Shem, which works down to obviously Abraham, and that's where the Bible sort of stops and starts to focus in with some detail with God's call to Abraham. Why does God yeah. call an individual at this time? Wow. Yeah, that's an excellent question. The, the reality is that the world had descended again into, uh, yeah, into paganism. And that was the problem. Uh, there was always the inclination to do that. After the... Uh, after the ark had come to a halt and the people had come out of the ark and they had moved towards Mesopotamia or the land of Shinar as we know it, um, they uh, they started to, well, distort the worship of God. There was uh, an adoption of, of paganism. Uh, it, it's fascinating that when you look at, uh, when you look at uh, Abram, his, uh, his father, Terah, Actually, and you find that in the book of Joshua, actually also had a, a partial interest in the uh, pagan deities. Um, there was even crept into the family of Abram a desire and an, uh, what shall I say, an expression of, uh, of paganism. And God wanted to preserve the knowledge of himself. If you look at the line, uh, if you look at the line of the uh, of the, of the patriarchs, it's quite interesting, uh, Lyle. So you get Shem, uh, you get Aparxat, Salah, Eber, Pelech, Ruach, Sirach, Nahor, the grandfather of Abram, then you get Tira. And with Tira already you see some paganism. 
So, so Abram was not like that. He was completely free of that, and that's why God chose him. But God needed a people. God needed a people to preserve the truth about Him, and to have the plan of salvation uh, preserved. And of course, through uh, Abram and these descendants, I just read out the Messiah was going to come. The one to whom all the sacrifices pointed. And that's going and to that be that had to be preserved too. Yeah, that's going to be a massive, uh, a massive prophecy and a part of this whole story of Abraham as we move our way through. Yeah. When we look at, you know, I guess we look back at the past and it's like, okay, God, these, these guys had the flood and they had the Tower of Babel. That didn't go so well. God intervened at the flood. He God intervened at the Tower of Babel. And you kind of think, wow, you know, these guys have so much evidence and yet they still turn back towards paganism. Yeah. Amongst, yeah. amongst all of this paganism, did the knowledge of God just entirely vanish or did we get a bit of a yeah. blend taking place around the world? Yeah, I think you get a blend as well, uh, Lyle. You do. Yeah. I mean, we do in today's Christendom, don't we? We get tremendous blends. And, and that certainly is what occurred there as well. There were no written records per se, other than perhaps the genealogies, of course, that were preserved. But uh, the, the, the accounts, as we get them from the Bible, were not written for these people. So things were passed on from, from father to son, so to speak, from generation to generation. And in the conveyance of the accounts, there might have been some distortion or something that might have suited them better or some combination uh, mixing with, with pagan influences. Uh, that would all have occurred for sure. But what is interesting, and I think that that is often not uh, appreciated, that after the flood, uh, you, have, uh, you have a man like Shem who comes out of the ark, and when he's just over 100 years, lives there till 600 years. So there's another almost 500 years that he lives. And, and, and when you look at the, the other descendants, the line of the patriarchs, including when you come down to Abram, he might well have known Shem personally. There's no record of it, but if you go by the genealogy, that is a, a strong feasibility. Well, they were certainly contemporaries of each other, which is kind of hard for us to imagine in today's world when our generations are yeah. so short. Now, yeah, that's right. Abraham comes from the city of Ur. Uh, yeah. What kind of a city was this? Yeah, Ur of the Galdean. Um, the, they lived at the uh, the era, well, what shall I say, the district where the Sumerian um, uh, civilization is, which is the oldest reported uh, that we have. It is uh, quite uh, to, uh, very low in the south. It's south of Babylon, really. And uh, the, the place has been located. And um, in the early 1900s, they did do, uh, they did do some... Um, Ex excavations, and it's amazing what, what they found. There were American and English um, teams that uh, that went into this, and they found amazing stuff there. They found that uh, they were very well developed. Uh, it was an urban society of quite uh, well-developed proportions. There were libraries, two-story houses, generally courtyards with the bigger houses, a sewer system, a functioning sewer system, uh, which is quite amazing when you look at the early part of the second millennia before Christ, that was already in place. And by that is the 
the uh, the status that they found in Ur of the Galdean when they did do their uh, when they did and and also they found the schools readings writings arithmetic and geography they were all in place it's quite fascinating yeah okay so Abraham is coming from this incredibly advanced civilization advanced yeah. society and uh, he's moving away from there you know when yeah. he reaches Palestine Palestine in that same era was nothing like as advanced as Ur. Why does he go from, you know, it, it almost feels like he's going backwards. It's almost like as if, you know, maybe you and I would move from Australia and go to a developing country. We would have to be very, very motivated to do so. Why does Abraham do this? Well, God called him. That was the direction. So God called him, and uh, so he obeyed. And the man was 75. He was not a youngster. Uh, that was considered middle-aged, really. And so he uh, he moves then, and it was really an act of faith that he left everything that which he knew and had known all of his life. It's an amazing, it's an amazing uh, gesture that he makes. It's an act of faith, and he doesn't know where he's going. There was no information to him about the land where he was going. Uh, there was no, he couldn't Google any information. There were no maps, so to speak, and he just simply had to. Uh, he simply had to obey, and that is what he did. So why did God send Abraham to this particular location? It is a very strategic location. When you look at the land of Canaan, today's Israel, it's really the connection between Africa and Asia, and from Europe also to, to Africa. That's one of the major uh, uh, routes of travel. Uh, it was strategically very, very well placed. Very well placed. And that's possibly one of the reasons why, I guess, over the years, it's become some of the most fought-over real estate on the planet? Yeah, well, when you look at that, uh, this, this territory, um, I mean, you look at the man Abram himself. Abram, of course, is the progenitor of the Jews. We know that. But he's also revered by the Christian religion. He's revered by the uh, Islamic religion. So he is indeed very... Uh, revered and, uh, by, by all of the monotheistic uh, major religions. And if you consider that the, uh, that the, uh, the Muslims, that is 1.8 billion, and then you have Christians, they are 2.3 billion, uh, and then some other 16, 17 million uh, Jews, it's quite amazing, really, that the man is so revered, isn't it? Yes, that's more than half of the population of the world. Baron, very quickly, right. before we finish up, um, you spent some time living in Israel and obviously yeah. researching and, and so forth there. What's it like to live in that part of the world today? Well, they, they, you have the normal urban environments, the, the cities of the world like Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, the newer part and what have you. My interest was particularly in where I dwelt for about, well, where I lived for six months was the old city of Jerusalem which is really uh, an absolute treasure when you look at the past. There's a lot of commercialism, but once you separate the commercialism from the actual, uh, from the, uh, actual realities, it's fascinating. And it's, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed my stay there very much. It was very informative. Mm. Uh, it, it, I could recommend it to anybody to, uh, to visit the Holy Land, so to speak, but I would advocate to really read up as much as you can, particularly your Bible, so you know what you're looking at when you get there.
Absolutely, Baron. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We look forward to next month's instalment where we really get stuck into uh, the call of Abraham and what Abraham and the relationship that Abraham and God have. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. A uh, question of okay. It is time for. It is time for. Where is it? There it is. <laughs> question of the day. Okay, the question is, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 29, we have a verse. Um, I'm just going to read it. Otherwise, what will they do when they are baptized for the dead, if the dead do not rise at all? And when they are baptized for the dead, what does this mean? Yes, what does it mean to be baptized <laughs> for the dead? Um, so there is one church that practices baptisms for the dead, um, and your Latter-day Saints is a great place to go and do your family genealogy because they like to trace back and find all of their relatives who have died and get baptized for their relatives who have died. So, uh, yeah, they do get baptized a whole bunch of times. If if we have someone from that particular faith who is listening in this morning, uh, give us a call. Tell us about how it works. Um, okay, but there are a number of principles that we need to note in relationship to this. First of all, you are the only one who can choose God for yourself. You cannot choose God for somebody else. You cannot force somebody to go in he- into heaven who does not want to be there. You cannot take away the power of choice of another person. And by choosing for somebody else to be saved, you are taking that power of choice away from them. And God never violates the power of choice. The Bible says that we are individually responsible for our salvation. There are a multitude of Bible passages that deal with this. And so, no, you cannot get baptized for somebody who has died and missed out on the opportunity to be baptized so that they can be saved. Uh, once somebody has died, they are either saved or they're lost. And we, can, we can't make that judgment either which way. So why does the Bible then say that we should be baptized for the dead? And if the resurrection doesn't exist, then why are we being baptized for the dead? Okay, it's very simple. When you go to a funeral... And, uh, you know, we often go to a funeral because, you know, obviously we like to remember the person who died to find some closure, Um, you know, all of these different kinds of things. When you go to a funeral, there is only one thing you can do for the person who is dead. You can't talk to that person. You can't encourage that person. You can't be there for that person who has died because that person is now dead. Yes. They're gone. And they are waiting for the resurrection, whichever resurrection that might be. You can be there for the family. But so often when we go to the funeral, we want to do something for the person who has died. Mm. Okay, there is one thing you can do. But there's only one. And the one thing that you can do for that person once they have died is to give your life to Jesus Christ and plan to meet them again in the resurrection. Hmm. That's the greatest thing that you can do for anyone who has died. And so for all of your listeners this morning, I want you to think about this next time you go to a funeral. I can do something for this person right now. I can plan to see them again. I want you to think about how disappointed they would be if you went to their funeral and not their resurrection. Hmm. You know, which, which would you rather somebody come to? your funeral or your resurrection. And that's why, that's what we can do for somebody who has died. We can give our lives to Jesus Christ. We can be baptized 
for someone who is dead because that's all that we can do for someone who is dead. Mm. And it's our baptism that counts, not baptism on behalf of somebody else. That's what the Bible is talking about in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 29. We're going to move on with...